Welcome to the Scaling Through Structure podcast. I'm your host, Austin LaRoche, and we are here to learn about the winning systems that business leaders use to find success. If you believe in the power of organization, frameworks, and scalable processes, then this is the pod for you. Let's go. All right. I am so excited. I have Meg Carpenter here, CEO of FICOM Partners. How are you doing today, Meg? I'm doing so great. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So I there's so much I want to get into. Uh, FICOM is such an incredible company, uh, the leading marketing and communication firm within the wealth industry. Three straight wealthies, I hear. Is that correct? <laughs> Three in a row. <laughs> nice. Nice. So before we get into you know, the company and what a badass you are and, and your team in who I've had the honor to be able to work with, I kind of want to know a little bit about you, Meg. Well, I, I know about you. I want the listeners to be able to know about you. Tell me about who Meg Carpenter is, not just CEO of FICOM, but what do you care about and you know what what is it that makes you tick? Well, first and foremost, I'm a mom. Uh, I have uh, three children and they are the light of my life. Um, I'm also family is sort of my number one thing. So in addition to being a mom and a wife, um, I'm very close to my two sisters and my parents and aunts and uncles and, and nieces and nephews and all of that. So that's sort of my people ask what I do for fun. And, and truly for fun, I spend time with my family. Like that's my Christmas and Thanksgiving are my Super Bowl. It's when we're all together in the same place. It's what I love to do. Um, I am also uh, I'm a very sort of a visionary thinker, which, which absolutely relates to my role as the CEO of the business, but I think shapes sort of who I am as a person in my both my personal and my professional life. Um, I have a futuristic way of thinking and sort of always looking ahead and seeing what could be on the horizon and then being really intent on getting there in the most efficient way possible. Um, I'm also like highly competitive um, and I like to win. Um, that showed up in high school. I was a competitive cheerleader. I was also like head of Model United Nations um, and like really driven by competing to win. I love that. I uh, I feel like, you know, sometimes people like, oh, you're a little too competitive, especially at those Thanksgiving and Christmas events when it's just a board game. But I love that you wear like competition as like a badge of honor. That's uh, that's fantastic. And so let's kind of let's kind of segue into how you've been able to win and how you've been able to to grow FICOM. Can you give me the the FICOM story from idea to uh, three straight wealthies? I'll try to do this as efficiently as possible because it's been 12 years. So, and you're an entrepreneur yourself. So, you know, 12 years, is kind of like a lifetime in small business land. Um, but really the idea for FICOM was that I recognized that there was a gap in the wealth management space. Marketing as a function was not very well built out. And so businesses in our industry, if you rewind to, you know, 12 plus years ago, had really driven, had grown through very traditional growth channels referrals, word of mouth, center of influences. And there wasn't a professionalized marketing function. And there wasn't very, um, there wasn't sort of an extensive understanding of how marketing can drive towards growth. 
And so I had grown up sort of working alongside individual financial advisors and the firms that supported them. And I saw that there was this gap. So I decided to start my own company. Um, and that was in 2012. And it began, uh, I started just as an independent consultant, really, like just doing marketing consulting. And then um, I actually merged my business into what is now FICOM Partners after meeting my former business partner. So when FICOM Partners started, it was really a low cost PR firm for financial advisors. And when I joined the business, which was I started doing consulting in 2013 for the business, I was really like, listen, PR can be somewhat commoditized. There's not a lot of client value and stickiness and retention. So let's think about how we can integrate marketing, which is my world, into PR to drive really a lot of value for the clients. And so I merged my consulting business into FICOM formally in 2014. And from 2014 to 2018, we really sort of skyrocketed from a growth perspective. We really got clear on the power of thinking through sort of integrating PR and marketing together. We up-leveled the clients that we worked with, so working from individual financial advisors to starting to work with enterprise businesses. And um, over that sort of period of time, we're really fortunate to work with some of the best brands in the space and, and developed an incredible reputation. What happened during that growth, as, as many other founders and entrepreneurs may have experienced, is that you, you either have alignment with business partners or you don't. And um, while I love my former business partner and still count him as a friend and have a tremendous amount of respect for him, we had misalignment in vision. And so in 2018, we came to the decision together to part ways. And so I bought him out of the business. Um, there were also two minority investors in FICOM that um, I bought out at the time, brought in a new minority investor. So that's when I became the majority shareholder of the business um, and really got focused on what is the vision? What are we here to do? And sort of started to sort of coalesce um, the plans for what FICOM is today. So fast forward then again to where we are in 2024. Today, we really are an embedded growth partner to the wealth management community. So we bring a high level of strategic thinking from how do you align business goals to what you're doing from a marketing perspective and then how do you do that across an organization? And so we've built our business and our service offerings to be able to do that. Um, and we are very honored to be, you know, a, an award-winning and, and well-recognized sort of growth marketing partner within the independent wealth management community. So I love that. I love your commitment to the wealth management industry. I see it across uh, anything that you, you post on social media. Uh, on LinkedIn. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about wh why you chose to structure the agency uh, within that this niche and within just this industry. It's all I've ever known, you know, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't on purpose. I mean, I went, I went to the university of Southern California and I've always worked. I've worked since I was 15 years old and I did a fellowship program abroad um, after my sophomore year of college, and I extended my fellowship program. So I, I got back to school like right when my junior year was starting, and I didn't have a job. And so I just got back and I said to my sorority sisters, like, I need an internship. I need a paid internship. Like, who knows of a paid internship? And that's how I got into this space. It was completely by accident. I had no sort of desire to get into financial services. I knew nothing about the independent wealth management space. So that was my, my one of my strokes of luck, right? Is that I I fell into the space because there was a business that was offering a paid internship and they hired me. 
Um, but I really fell in love with <clears throat> the power that this industry has to transform lives. And so really good wealth management, financial advice, investment management can change the lives of the people who are engaging with it. And so working alongside financial advisors at a very early stage of my career, I just fell in love with the work that they did for their clients and how much they cared and how committed they were to the success of their clients. And so <clears throat> I just developed a natural affinity for it. And so when I started my own business, and I won't get into too many of the nuances about the different channels within financial services. The independent wealth management channel is sort of the youngest and fastest growing channel. And so I, I worked in the insurance world. And so I decided when I started my own business that I felt as though this channel, which is the independent wealth management channel, was where I wanted to be. It seemed where all the innovation was happening, sort of the, um, the new leaders and, and innovators and founders were popping up. And so I decided to, you know, I was going to be an independent wealth management. And since day one, we've never looked back. Um, and that's, it's a cornerstone, which, you know, Austin of our overall sort of marketing framework or marketing mindset is being really clear and hyper-focused on who your target audience is to achieve marketing success. And so that's one thing that I can say, we actually, you know, we very much practice what we preach and having a super narrowly defined market. All right. Well, you've teased us with my favorite F word framework. So I want to hear more about this framework. Okay. Uh, you know, here uh, at Scaling Through Structure, we're really interested in, in processes, frameworks, systems. So tell us about what your framework is and how it's been able to help uh, all sorts of wealth management companies, big and small. Yeah. So, I mean, all of our clients are interested in driving growth and achieving sort of I think new trajectories of growth than they've been able to achieve on their own, sort of without the marketing mindset that we are able to implement. And so keep that in frame of mind when I think through the mindset. This is for firms who have businesses who have an established track record of success, right? Like they've got um, the product market fit, like they understand their service model, they understand their prospecting, like they they're they're doing what they're doing works. And they're so confident in what they're doing that they want to accelerate into those opportunities, which means that they need to grow, go from growing maybe 10% a year to growing 30% a year. And they're not quite sure how to, how to make that change. And so that's the type of client that we work really well with. And so when we think through the framework, it's really, it's three simple questions. The first is you have to know why do you do what you do? And that's where we, we very much at FICOM, it's, we call it the new school mindset. We really believe in a human first heart centered approach to successful marketing, which is in the way that consumers approach brands today, it's very much about having a personal connection to that brand. And you can't have a personal connection to a brand if there's no heart, if there's no purpose, if there's no passion. And so when we're working with our clients and we work with some very large clients that people will know like BlackRock and Capital Group and Goldman Sachs, we also work with individual financial advisors that most people have probably never heard of, but that dominate their own individual market. And the mindset is the same for each. Why do you do what you do? That's question number one, getting clear on your purpose and your passion. That's, that's the heart of the business. That's to relate to the vision. It should relate to your values. The second part of the framework is now that you know why you do what you do, it's answering the question of who do you do it for? 
And that's the getting hyper-focused on an ideal client. So obviously the, the who needs to be intuitively related to the why. So why do you do what you do? Who do you do it for? When we're in the second piece of the framework, it's really about getting clear on like, can you go after the smallest potential market to fuel your growth goals? And can you dominate that market, be the number one player in that market before you think expanding beyond it? So getting hyper-focused on your who, um, after you're clear on your why. And then the last piece of the framework is getting really, really clear on what is the business problem that we're trying to solve for with marketing. And, and that fr- piece of the framework is um, challenging for a lot of people to get clear on because it's like, well, you know, we need to have a website. We need to be on social media. We need to be doing all of these things. But when we ask the question of why and like, what are you looking to get out of these things? That's where it becomes quite gray. And so our, our framework, really that third cornerstone piece is around what specific business problem are you trying to solve? And then only working there. Um, and so that's the three-step framework that we um, implement with all of our clients. I love it. It's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's so simple. And I think that's what a lot of people need, especially in marketing, right? There's so, there's so many new things and there's so many, uh, there's such a lack of clarity that when you can really boil it down to three simple questions, it really, really helps people understand what's most important. Um, and so you've been able to grow, uh, you've been able to grow this company. And, and it was really funny hearing you talk about that, um, that, uh, what is it, the minimal viable uh, population? Yeah. Well, it's like your smallest viable market. Yeah. Okay. And, and like how you go in and you just dominate that market. It's such a reflection of what you've been able to do with Viacom. Uh, it's really kind of cool to, to, you know, see you, uh, you know, taking your own medicine. So um, I, I want to know about how you've been able to, to kind of structure your business. Uh, and let, let's start with your team. Cause I know you've got a, a really, really strong team. How do you structure getting the, you know, let's use the EOS term, right? The right people in the right seats. Yes, that's such a big question. I will say we've learned quite a bit through trials and failures over the years. (laughs) We've been in business now for 10 years. We've had a lot of people who have worked at Bicom. Um, We've tried a lot of different team structures. And I think part of it is being clear on the value that we add to the industry and how that relates to Um, service models. So we have three distinct lines of business at FICOM. We have our agency business, we have our consulting business, and then what we have, uh, what we call Accelerator, which is our scalable offer. Um, It's all for the same buyer. There's not three buyers. It's the same buyer. It's just the specific needs of the buyer and which service model works for each. So that's sort of the beginning of the structure is understanding what are we actually delivering. And then within each of those teams, then we build the supporting team structure. So we have two women who lead those three lines of business. So Mary-Kate Gulick leads our agency business and Candace Carlton leads our consulting and accelerator business. And so they are the senior um, members of the leadership team who are responsible mm-hmm. for those lines of business. They're also responsible for building the structure that supports it. So on Mary-Kate's team, she has four what we call tribes underneath her team. Think of agency. It's heavy for us. It's very heavy strategy um, and then very heavy, like exceptional execution. So we need to have a senior level of um, talent that works on those teams. So we weight very heavily towards senior talent at FICOM. So we have tribe wheels, which are run by VPs. 
Um, they're the primary point of contact. They're the strategic lead. They work with the EVP, who's sort of the senior most strategic lead on every account. And then they have specialists that work on the execution side. So we have a PR specialist, we have a digital specialist, copywriters, graphic designers, web developers, video and audio production. So each sort of VP uh, who leads a tribe wheel has all of the sort of all of the experts to be able to tap into. Um, those roles are EVPs and our VPs, all of our senior talent are full-time roles. Um, and then we lean into part-time roles um, on those tribe wheels, which really allows us to create scale. Um, and we've found that because we've had like we've had in-house copywriters, we've had in-house graphic designers, we've had in-house web developers. And we've just found that for us, it's super important to find the right person for the right job, like very EOS minded. And so we need to have multiple, like we have, uh, we have over 30 contractors that we work with in any given year. We need to be able to pull the right person in at the right time. So that's sort of the structure on the agency side, again, heavy on strategy and exceptional execution. Consulting is quite different because that is, you have to have a senior level consultant. So Candace's team on the consulting side looks relatively thin. It's essentially her um, and a strategic ops person. And the two of them are able to manage a good amount of uh, consulting revenue. Um, and as we grow that, we'll, we'll just continue to hire sort of strategic ops, which is people who are really strong project managers, but also have the business strategic lens to it. And then on the accelerator side, it's a, it's run through coaches, which is quite scalable for us. So it looks different from each line of the business to the next, but that's our current structure. And that's so smart, right? It's understanding exactly what each product is. You have some sort of leader who is leading it, and then you're utilizing your resources the right way. I loved what you talked about with the contractors, because I mean, just in agency life, we know how things can ebb and flow. And a lot of us, you know, as, as when things are, are going the right way, it's higher, 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 right? Uh, and I think uh, one of the things that uh, you and your firm do really well is recognizing where you need those those brains and the right people in those seats, but where also you might be able to lean on great resources outside of just full-time employees. So that's a, that's a really interesting structure uh, that you're able to do. So how do you manage all of this from a technology standpoint? What is, uh, you know, what it, for lack of a better way of saying it, what's the tech stack that makes FICOM uh, run like the uh, well-oiled uh, machine that we know it is? So it's interesting because in preparing for this conversation, Austin, my first thought was like, I have no clue what our tech stack is. Like that's so far from my realm of accountability, right? Like as visionary and biz dev, but then I started taking notes and I was like, and then before I know it, I think I have like a dozen noted. So I was like, oh, okay. I just don't think about it that way. But I mean, I think sort of our cornerstone is, and, and I, preparing for this also, I, I thought a little bit about the evolution. Like when we started the business, we were on the Google suite. And then at some point over the growth of the business that quickly became like cumbersome and, and didn't work. It also didn't work within financial services whatsoever. No. <laughs> you know, like everyone runs on Microsoft Office. So I would say like Microsoft Office is sort of the cornerstone. And, and you know this because you built our website and all of our sales flows for us. We operate on HubSpot. So many years ago, we did quite a bit of due diligence and looked sort of across the marketing automation platform um, universe and identified HubSpot as, as the marketing automation platform that we were most comfortable with. And so we still operate on HubSpot. We've also, which you were, which attack was a part of migrated from Salesforce to HubSpot. So we had been on Salesforce as our CRM 
um, and move that all over to HubSpot so that we have CRM and marketing automation all living within one universe. Um, and then some other tools that we use like daily is um, Dropbox. Obviously, we use Rike for our internal project management mm -hmm. tool. Um, we live on Slack. We use Wistia fairly regularly, um, Zoom. Uh, we use a time tracker called Harvest, uh, QuickBooks for, for AP. Like those are the ones I came gotcha. up with. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I want to ask a question about Reich because earlier you identified yourself as a big time visionary personality. I, I have the exact same. I actually reread Rocket Fuel recently uh, and was like, oh my gosh, I am, I am me. Um, how often are you in Reich? Never. Okay, so that's that's what I was hoping because well, we just adopted teamwork and we've got these like teamwork ninjas who are turning this machine this just amazing like well functioning engine and I'm so excited and I'm the outlier. I'm the one when I need something I send an email instead of putting it in teamwork. How does your team respond to uh, to you being a little bit outside of the day to day projects when you might need something that's a little bit more in the weeds? Yeah, that's a great question because I've actually had to work really hard and we've had to build some internal structure to be able to make sure that I I was not and am not a disruption to the business. And I've been given that feedback, you know, like <laughs> Meg has these big ideas and then she comes in and she drops these big ideas and it sends everyone sort of running in different directions when that's not really, you know, it's it's not related to their rock or whatever. Um, so we've, we've had to work through that, but, but I have an amazing executive assistant and she essentially functions in Reich for me. So anytime I need something or the team needs something, she's my Reich proxy. So she's got Reich mm -hmm. nailed and she's in there. So she is the one and we, she and I have our own process, but she's elevating the to-dos that I have in my list from our project management tool. Mm -hmm. And then work that I'm responsible for getting back, she makes sure goes through right. So I sort of took, I took the frame of mind that I needed to be the one that came up with the process to satisfy what worked best for the team instead of the team needing to bend their process mm. to me. Absolutely. Yeah. You, perfect way of saying it. And uh, a lesson I think uh, many, many different visionary uh, type of CEOs are constantly trying to, uh, to, to, to get uh, as, as good as we can with. I want to actually kind of dive a little bit more into that relationship with an executive assistant. I think some people are really uh, lean on executive assistants. Others, I know in the past, I've tried a little bit and, and I feel like my communication wasn't as great. So I kind of would love to hear how you structure that relationship because it sounds like it's a really impactful relationship for you and the company. It is. You know, I didn't have an executive assistant until... 2020. So it was probably three and a half years ago. So I'd gone the first eight, eight plus years at FICOM without an executive assistant. And I think, um, you know, another thing that you would learn about me is that I have, I'm tenacious and resilient and, um, and like that's coupled with a certain humility. So I, I sort of felt like I didn't need, like, I can't have an EA. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we're not big enough. Like we don't like, we shouldn't spend that money. Like money should be spent elsewhere. So for a long time, that was sort of my, like, you know, don't need an EA, can't afford an EA. Like let's invest it into other parts of the business. And so um, 
our outsourced CFO, who we still work with at the time said, you know, Hey Meg, and this was four years ago, almost so like a totally different time than where we are today. And, and you'll know this Austin, I used to be heavily involved in client work. And so at the time I was directly responsible for, let's say close to three quarters of a million dollars of revenue that I was servicing myself. And he said to me, he said, if you have a really successful EA function that's operating and you're both sort of operating at peak performance, you should be able to take on an additional $500,000 of, of consulting work. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, mm -hmm. like I'm already maxed, I'm tapped. Like there's absolutely no way. Sure enough. And like, this is how the universe works. Sometimes within six months after hiring my VA, we had um, onboarded $480,000 of new revenue that I was responsible for, like almost to the dollar amount. And so I'm a believer. Um, so for me, it's really about focusing on my, the, where I add the most value and staying hyper-focused there. So I, at the business, I am responsible for vision for the business which means that I have to be really tapped into the industry and having a ton of conversations just around where the industry is headed and innovation and, and sort of futuristic thinking. So it's vision. That's number one. Number two is culture. Um, I'm the main culture carrier. Um, and so, you know, I'm responsible for culture. And then number three is biz dev. And so I have to keep hyper-focused on those things. And what I found about myself is if there are administrative things that can distract me, I let them distract me from the important things at hand. So we really structure our relationship around like what are the administrative tasks that are not in those three um, or that support those three lanes and and that I can very confidently have that person do. So since day one of having an executive assistant, which did start as a virtual assistant, then moved into a full time position um, is they live in my inbox and I gave up that control mm -hmm. right away, which I'm a type A control freak. So like that was quite difficult. Um, but I immediately knew that email was a big barrier for me and a big time suck. So my EA lives in my inbox. I don't look at my emails, um, unless she flags them for me. She does all of my scheduling. She coordinates all of my travel. She does quite a bit of personal assistance work for me too, with three young kids and I'm quite involved in the community and I sit on a number of boards. And so there's often times just things like, you know, I've got my daughter's birthday coming up and I need a few. So like it's, it's personal and professional. Um, and then there's also just sort of, uh, keeping me on task. So there's, uh, sort of a, a daily weekly check-in that we have around making sure that I'm staying focused in the areas that I need to stay focused in. Um, but today, like I don't touch anything ops related for the business. I don't touch my inbox. I don't schedule anything. I don't schedule my own travel. Like that's all done through my EA. And what trust you must have in that EA. I mean, I, I think it's specifically for travel. Like I know all my little, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies when it comes to travel. I think we all have them. Uh, and and I, I bet once you get there, that must be the most amazing feeling or just like, oh, you got my email. You've got my travel. I'm good. But it's it did take a little... Did it take a little time to, to build that trust? Of course it did. I was terrified at first. Like I was terrified. Um, I email my inbox is sort of like my, it's like my memory. It's my catalog. It's my diary. Like it's all the things. And so I very much was terrified mm -hmm. to give over my email, but it happened pretty fast. Like I had to give up complete control because you can't you can't be on the in-between. Um, so I dove head first, but I recognized really quickly how powerful it was for me. And so since then, um, I probably over-index 
you know, on what I give up control of and, and, and certainly what I share and, and give my EA access to, but it's paid dividends for me. I think for all the CEOs who are listening, who might not quite have, have made the EA leap there, uh, you are, uh, you are an inspiration to us all. Um, so I want to, I want to touch on something that you talked a little bit at the top and, uh, which is, I mean, I think it was the first thing you said, you're first and foremost, you're a mom, you're very family driven. Uh, not only are you running a company, but you're very involved in industry and in the industry you sit on multiple boards. Uh, how do you structure all of this? How do you, how do you structure your days, your weeks? Do you have hard boundaries? Like what is, how do you, you know, how are you the, uh, the CEO mom who does it all? I don't do it all. I mean, I think that's it, honestly, <laughs> you know? I don't, and I don't expect myself to, and um, I give myself a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness, and this has been quite the journey to get to this point. It hasn't always been this way, um, but and, and I, I feel obviously very passionate as, as a female entrepreneur, and, and I take it as a big responsibility when I'm speaking from stages and people are hearing me. I don't want anyone to leave with the like, oh my gosh, she does it all, because that's not a good... Um, it's like, that doesn't, that's not the right conversation to be having. And so I'm always want to be really transparent with like, I just, I don't do it all. And I don't expect myself to. So, you know, on the home front, since I had my first child, we've always invested in a full-time nanny 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, and that is really a gift because that allows me to be able to have the the nurturing, loving environment at home that I want and seek for my children without having the pressure be all sort of on me. Um, I also have an incredibly supportive husband who um, really elevates me and my career and FICOM, which, you know, is his business as much as it is mine as sort of the, the priority um, from a professional perspective. And that's quite rare. Um, so I think that those two things are really, really critical. Um, and I do... I do lead a very structured life. Like my days, Monday to Friday, look very much the same from when I get up to what I do, to what I eat, to when I work out. So I think I try to like remove as many variables as possible so that I have space in the areas that I want to have space. So I eat the same lunch Monday through Thursday. Like I we do like very similar. We have similar routines as a family on the weekends. Like Sundays always are a day that we go and get donuts. We eat dinner out on Fridays and Saturdays. Like we cook a big Sunday supper together. Like everything is very sort of structured in that way, which, like I said, it just eliminates. Um, I don't have to think in the morning about what am I going to eat today? I rent my clothes. Like that also for me is part of my structure that I have a limited number of clothes to choose from because they're rented. And so I don't have to sit in the closet every morning and think like, what am I going to wear today? Because I have like four pieces of clothing that I've rented that I wear. So like, I think that structure for me is I've eliminated oh, 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 oh. a lot. Oh my God. I have, I have two, two follow-up questions. First one, very quickly. What are we having for lunch Monday through Thursday? I make salads on Sunday for me and Scott. So I make eight salads on Sunday night and it's, it's, it's their high protein, high fat, big salads. Fantastic. And then the second question, 
tell me more about renting clothes. This is the coolest idea I've heard in a very long time. I know it's popular, but I didn't know anyone who did it. And now like, again, I'm inspired once again. So I started renting clothes and I was pregnant with my third child because I was, I knew that she was going to be our last. And I was like, I'm not spending another dime on maternity clothes. Like, you know, because you have children, yep. maternity clothes are very expensive and they're meant to last you for like a very limited period of time. And so I was like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not buying maternity clothes. So I just started renting clothes for my maternity. And then I realized how much it simplified my life. And I also realized in that moment that like, I actually really do not enjoy spending money on fashion. It's like a, there's a tension there. Like I do it, but I don't like it. And Mm -hmm. so spent being able to rent, um, sort of helped me fiscally. And then also from a sustainability perspective, I really like the idea of recycling clothes. And so, um, it sort of checked all those boxes, but it's very regimented. So I get two shipments a month, four to five pieces each, and it's always work clothes. So I have, I essentially get 10 pieces, eight to 10 pieces of clothes per month. I look at my schedule and my speaking and my traveling, am I going to different, you know, climates? Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I rent what I need and I, I wear those pieces for like two weeks and then I get my next shipment and I just rinse and repeat every time. The only clothes that I buy today are like athleisure. So like Lori Lululemon, like stuff that I wear on the weekends. Um, Mm -hmm. but other, like every piece of clothes that you see me in, like work clothes are rented. That's unbelievable. Uh, that is really, really cool. All right. Uh, I'm going to get you out of here with just one last question. Uh, so I, and I don't, I might stump you with this one because you seem like so structured that I'm jealous. Talk to me about, is there any area of your life where maybe things aren't as balanced or structured as all the others somewhere where maybe you'd want to improve on or some, something that's just not quite, you haven't stuck the landing yet. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, (laughs) I I just say like, there's no reason to be envious. Like I have worked on this and I'm, uh, I'm on my own journey, right? Like we're all just on points of Mm -hmm. our journey and this is where I'm at in mine. Um, but I think that, um, because I'm so committed at home and because to home and to family and also to FICOM and my business, the, the thing that often gets left out is, is like the me time, you know? Mm. Um, so like, I never, ever get, go and get a manicure or pedicure or go get a massage Mm. or, um, you know, like, I think the thing that I do for myself is every 10 weeks I go to the hair salon, you know, like mm-hmm. that sort of, so I think that there is an area where I feel like I'm out of balance, um, because I'm so much in balance in the other areas that I'm mm-hmm. out of balance on sort of, um, I mean, self-care is such a buzzword, but like, I just, I don't take a lot of time for myself. And mm-hmm. I think because I travel so frequently for work, I never want to travel without my kids personally. Mm-hmm. So like, trips with my sisters or trips with friends, I'm very hesitant to do because it's just more time away from my children. And I already take so much time away from my children for work travel, to travel quite a bit. Um, So that's the area where I feel like there's a big opportunity to lean into um, structuring. Well, it probably starts with forgiveness, right? Like just forgiving Mm -hmm. myself that it's okay to want to do that. And that it's, it's good. Um, and then like figuring out how I can structure that so I can have some more time for, for myself, which I believe to be quite important. 
Yeah. And I wonder if there's just kind of like a regiment to it, right? It's like, okay, I would love to go on a trip with my sisters, but I don't want to leave my kids to, well, you know what? I've got five vacations with my kids this year or four vacations. How about, how about one with the sisters? Right. And then, you right. know, and, and, and be able to do that. And I think anytime too, anything becomes like a routine. We all know you put something in your calendar, uh, uh, you know, every six weeks, you, you know, if you really wanted to get that manicure or pedicure, it could go Friday afternoon in your calendar. But, uh, I, gosh, it's so true about just when, when you have all of these different responsibilities, how hard it is to just say, like, when do I get to do this thing, like, just for me? Like, when can I be, you know, well, I don't want to use the word selfish, because that has such a negative connotation. But like, when do I get to, when do I get to be the priority, and like, not feel bad about it. And it's funny that, you know, you, you have this, because, you know, I hear you in the back of my head a lot, when I'm like, on, on, you know, uh, giving myself a little bit of, uh, uh, crap about something. And it's just, it's that, that saying, and you already said it in this thing to give yourself grace, like give yourself grace. Like we're, we're all, you know, I have this, uh, I think I get it from my mom, this, this saying of like, we're all just trying our best. Right. And, uh, sometimes you got to realize that, like, you know, that means you too. Right. Uh, so man, well, I this think was- it's why it's great to have like a community of people to lean on because I found in my experience that like at different points of my life, I'm in balance in certain areas and out of balance in other areas. And I think it's so important for founders and entrepreneurs and, you know, um, executives who have really high intensity responsibilities to be able to see others' experiences and to learn from those experiences. And I know in, in the forum that we're in together through entrepreneurs organization, like I've learned so much from you about the importance of like you having your creative outlet and seeing opportunities to really nurture and foster that creative outlet. And I remember before your birthday last, you went on that big road trip and I had, I really was envious of like, look at him, you know, he's taking this time for himself to get into the space that he wants to be in. And so I think it's important to have these conversations and to have these communities so that everyone can have the same benefit that I have with having our forum and and having you and, and others in our forum share experiences because it allows me to see I'm out of balance here. They're in balance there. What can I learn from it? That's, that's really true. And my son would agree that I, I want many more conversations with just, or not, sorry, not conversations, want many more vacations with, uh, you know, either going somewhere with my friends or going somewhere with uh, his mom and uh, he wants to be involved in a lot more of those. I got, uh, yeah. Uh, so um, maybe I can learn a little bit from you in that regard too. Uh, so cool. Well, with that, Meg, thank you so much for joining today. This was so fun and I'm very, very inspired. I'm going to probably go put a job ad up for an executive assistant. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm so, so happy that you did this. You are one of my favorite people to talk to on and off camera. Thanks, Austin. I appreciate it. so much for listening to the scaling through structure podcast this pod was produced by sabrina if you liked what you heard do us a favor and subscribe or leave a five-star review on the platform of your choice if you want to be a guest and share with the world your winning system head over to podcast.atakinteractive.com slash guest and fill out your information accordingly to connect send me an invite at www.linkedin.com slash in slash Austin LaRoche, that's A-U-S-T-I-N-L-A-R-O-C-H-E. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. 
and especially you. Until next time, I'm Arsenal Roche, and we will see you soon.